Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Odyssey Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore. And we're here with one of our favorite lenders again. And uh, if you've listened to his podcast in the past, this is um, Jeff Chisholm with North Point Mortgage. And Jeff, you are officially the first repeat um, interview that I've had. So uh, so congratulations on that. That's, uh, that's exciting. We'll have a repeat conversation about some of the financing, which is a big piece of the puzzle when we're buying vacation rentals. Well, it's, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate you having me again. And I mean, I don't want to brag, Sean, but I was looking through all of your videos and outside of kind of your personal story, which is amazing. Everybody should go and watch that one. Uh, I think our first podcast we recorded is is uh, maybe like top three. I yeah, think. It's, so, it's definitely the fan favorite. Uh, we talked a lot about 10% down financing for the vacation rentals and building a portfolio with 10% down financing. We're going to talk more about that today. And then we're also going to introduce a couple other financing products and uh, that that you have the ability to write loans on now. And uh, it's going to be really exciting. So for those of you who missed the first episode, we dove into kind of Jeff's, you know, his story, where he's from and, uh, you know, what got him into this space. We talked a lot about his family and his journey into vacation rentals. Jeff's a owner of, you have two properties now, right, Jeff? Two. Yep. Yep. Two, two lifestyle assets. And so we talked a little bit about that. So we won't repeat all that stuff, but if you missed it, go back to, I think it was episode 29 and go, go listen to that. And, uh, and, and we're going to now add to that. This is kind of part two of that first episode. So I'm really excited to dive into some of the, some of the more detailed questions that we're getting about the financing side of life. And so I appreciate you as always being on here. Um, Jeff's a member of our group inside of Odyssey. And uh, is always very generous with his um, with his ability to jump in and and answer questions and help a lot of our members build their portfolios. And so, Jeff, we're uh, you're uh, I, I believe our group is uh, has kept you pretty busy, right? Yeah, we've had a lot of fun. I mean, it's just amazing how many great people uh, I've connected with through the group and. Uh, it's fun to run with people that are doing significant things. So yeah, it's been, been great. Awesome. Yep. And those of you listening, um, some of you are watching this on YouTube, some of you are listening in your car, but, uh, Jeff and I get along great because we have the same haircut. And so, which is a lack two of look, two good looking bald guys. Yep. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, we'll uh, yeah, that's, uh, I always, I always get like, get along good with bald guys. So this is, that's good for us. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, Jeff, what I'd like to dive into right now, one of the things that we get questions about all the time, and I know you do as well, and um, I get a lot of comments sometimes on our, um, you know, some of the podcast, like on the podcast that we, that we recorded and people telling us, and even other lenders and realtors and people in this business that say, hey, you guys, you guys can't use you can't do vacation home and second home financing when you're using them as short-term rentals. And um, we know that not to be true, but can you talk a little bit about that? And uh, so that people that are, that are wondering, well, you know, are you allowed to do that? Can we talk a little bit about that and the rules that, that Fannie and Freddie have around that and um, where it would be applicable and why, maybe why some of those other professionals may think that, that, that we're not allowed to do that. Yeah, it, it constantly blows my mind how uh, much misinformation there is around this topic, around this opportunity. In fact, 
the the phone call that I just had 30 minutes ago with a, a lady interested in buying a lake house, she told me, and she's a realtor, um, her, her lender uh, in this scenario where she wanted to buy this lake house in this destination area, uh, she was going to have to put 20% down because they were going to um, not only enjoy it, but also utilize it as a short-term rental. So it, it's something that repeats itself um, on a, a, a common uh, basis, a consistent basis. So uh, yeah, to, to dispel all the, the misinformation, the rumors, uh, Fannie Mae loves the idea on a second home occupancy loan that you're going to have a borrower that can fully qualify for absorbing this proposed PITI payment in their debt to income ratios without any consideration for uh, the income that it, it may generate or it could generate. Um, and then, you know, to have an ability to supplement their own ability uh, to repay that mortgage, they, they love the idea. So to, to kind of summarize, and, and there's no quote out there on this, but uh, I think they would say, hey, you know, let's let's broaden our policy. Let's let's make it as liberal as, as possible. So we don't put people in a position where they feel like they're committing mortgage fraud. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the policy is as long as you intend to occupy this property at some point during the year uh, and you don't put yourself in a situation where legally you lose the ability to occupy that property, then you're meeting the terms and the requirements for the second home occupancy. And that, when you sign that rider at closing, and it's important that this is a Fannie Mae loan, that your lender is originating a Fannie Mae because they have the most liberal uh, STR friendly policy, uh, you're only committing to that for a year. So after a year, you can transfer the, the title to an LLC without any worry of recourse that they would um, execute the due on sale clause. And then you could get into a long-term rental if you wanted to. Uh, and that may look like 30 days or more. Um, so yeah, they, they've, uh, they've made this opportunity um, very easy for people with, without worry that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And that's, I think, what scares people the most, you know, none of us want to get into trouble with, or, you know, with the fine print or, or otherwise, you know, we don't want to take on or loans, like you talked about, like mortgage fraud or loan fraud and, you know, get a loan product and use it for it, you know, it's unintended purpose. Right. And so where this, it, and we talk about this all the time, the, the, if you have the intention to use it personally, and you don't lose control of the property, which is what we talk about lifestyle assets, right? We buy these properties. We do want that personal use aspect. And so we definitely want to be able to use them when, um, you know, if, if, and when we choose to, and, and not lose the ability to make that decision of when we want to use them. But outside of that, if Annie is saying that we're, we're allowed to go short-term rental it and we can put it on Airbnb and in VRBO and, or even with your management company, as long as you control, you don't lose control of that property and the ability to use it when you want to use it. That's correct. Right. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, I don't have statistics on this, but uh, just based on my experience, what I've seen out there. Uh, and I will say if, if you've got a loan officer that is telling you, you can't, uh, you can't put these properties on, on Verbo or uh, Airbnb. 
that's old policy. It used to stay in Freddie Mac's policy that that you could not do that. Yeah. Uh, but with this moderniz- modernization of the policy, uh, with them saying uh, you just can't put yourself in a, a legally binding situation where you couldn't uh, occupy that property. Uh, if you look in the fine print on Verbo, um, uh, Airbnb, they will specifically state that they are not facilitating a legal lease agreement. So um, that that's the situation where you're not going to get sued if you cancel a reservation. You're you're going to be a bad guy. Uh, you may kick, be kicked off the site, but there's no legal lease uh, agreement in place in those uh, on those platforms. So back to my statistic, I really think that there's only about 10 loan officers, 10% of loan officers actually know the, the correct modern policy, updated policy. I think there's only about 2% of us that actually have a correct interpretation of the policy and then have done enough deals uh, to, to vet out that understanding of the policy or the interpretation of the policy. Yeah. And I think that's important. I don't know that um, one, the, the policy used to state that you couldn't do it. And so if you have a loan officer that you've trusted and you've used, and they're giving you this information, they, they haven't kept themselves up to date of some of the new changes. And second, like anything else, if you don't write a lot of these types of loans and it's not what you primarily do, you probably don't even have a very good interpretation of what you can and can't do based on what the policy states. Because my guess is, Jeff, that not everybody reads all the policies of all the loans and all the programs, especially if it's not loans that they write all the time. And, and yeah. so, you know, you do a lot of these loans, right? So you're, uh, you know, this is a significant portion of your business and you guys are at the, you know, in the top 1% of loan originators in the whole U.S. And so, I mean, you guys are way up there. And, and this is a big portion of your business. So it, it makes sense that you would know this and somebody that doesn't write a lot of these loans, maybe, maybe wouldn't know that as well. Yeah, we've had to fight, um, you know, underwriters, misinterpretation of the policy, their lack of knowledge. So yeah, you know, having done a lot of deals and going through those battles with uh, even the head of underwriting in some cases, uh, we've been able to you know, hold that up and it, it stood and our understanding and, and our interpretation of policy. And, and um, we, we've been in situations where people have had to, to eat crow uh, because they were wrong and we were right. So, um, yeah, yeah it, experience matters for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like anything, not all, um, nobody in any profession, everybody's not created equal and not everybody specializes in the same thing. And so, if you are looking at doing this, we're obviously on on this episode and our previous episode. There's ways to get a hold of Jeff and his team. Um, they they can underwrite loans in all 50 states, and so we'll uh, we'll make sure that you have that uh, available to you in the show notes and everything else. But it's probably worth talking to somebody if you're considering doing this who really understands the rules and regulations. And then and then you know if you should be able to do this because none of us want to do something we're not supposed to be doing. And, you know, nobody wants to set themselves up in that, even in the gray area of saying, well, maybe I can get away with it. Maybe I can't. And, and I've even heard loan officers say that like, well, I'll do it for you, but it, you know, you, you, you know, there might be some consequences on the back end, which makes you feel like, you know, it's like, don't tell me that. I mean, if you, if I'm not supposed to do it, I don't want to do it. Right. And so um, it, it drives me nuts when I hear a loan officer say that as well. 
Yeah, none, none of this was worth going over to going to jail over. No. So <laughs> no. And and we wouldn't be in here talking and saying it's okay, Jeff, uh, particularly because this is what he does for a living. And uh, you know, tell you know if we weren't really one hundred percent confident that you're able to do this, which we are. So now, Jeff, what you know, there are instances where this doesn't make sense. And what I wanted to do today is also introduce a couple other options for people and a couple other a couple other financing options as far as different loan programs and different. Um, products, uh, you know, portfolio products that you guys offer right now and uh, that are available to consider if this isn't. Because one of the things that is, you know, what these loans we're talking about, these 10% down second home vacation home loans, they're full doc loans. You have to qualify with your debt to income has to qualify, your credit score, your, you know, all of those different things have to be, have to qualify to be able to buy this property without any rental income, right? It, it's a it's a full doc loan that you've got to be able to qualify to pay on your own without rental income. And so sometimes that's not always the case. And, you know, especially if you're a business owner, you might write off and not show enough income. You know, maybe you've already got, you know, so many properties in your portfolio and your debt to income is too high, whatever that ends up being. There's other, there's, there's reasons why there's, we want to look into other loan products. And so what, there's a couple that we wanted to talk about. And, uh, one of them would be that we were talking about previously before the show started was you guys you guys have a bank statement loan that's a portfolio product for North Point that we were talking about that was really interesting to me. Can we can we talk about that and when that would be an applicable time to maybe move away from the this regular traditional second home loan and then look at some of these other products? Yeah, absolutely. And I you know I've talked to enough people uh, where I would say. You know, 30%, if, if I talk to 100 people, 30 of those people uh, don't fit in the Fannie Mae box. And so uh, it's usually business owners sometimes, a lot of times as well. It's it's the people that have maxed out that Fannie Mae debt to income ratio. So we'll, we'll talk about that one here in just a second. But yeah, for those people who are self-employed, where uh, on tax returns, um, you know, their tax return isn't necessarily a, a reflection of their actual cash flow in their business. The bank statement loan is a, is a great option. So there's different levels of that. Um, you know, there's, there's opportunities where we can just review two, 12 months or 24 months. But basically what we're going to do is an analysis of, uh, of your cash flow situation and convert it into a monthly income amount. And then, you know, it, it would be the same as if you were a salaried position. Uh, we take that annual salary, divide it by 12, and that's your, the uh, gross amount is the, um, the qualifying income that we would use. So we're going to do basically the same thing with your bank statements, come up with a, a gross dollar amount. So we're still calculating debt to income ratio, but we're doing, uh, using the income piece off of the, the cash flow of your bank statements. So what uh, if if we're running down that road and I've done a couple of these loans and a couple of bank statement loans, not with you guys. Um, this was in uh, previously and they were both different and they both had different criteria. And um, and we know that to be true with any portfolio type of a product. Right. That um, a portfolio product means that whatever bank is holding that and writing the rules, they're going to they're writing their own rules. A Fannie and Freddie 
you know, the criteria to get a, a Fannie or Freddie loan is going to be pretty much the same across the board. You know, there, there's there's very specific criteria you have to follow a portfolio loan product in which we're talking about with these bank statement loans. They can be very different from bank to bank. So you may have had an experience with a bank statement loan that could be very different than what Jeff's talking about here. And, and my, my personal situation we were talking about earlier, I went through a broker and it was a three-year deal. And, you know, I qualified for a really high amount. And then by the time it was said and done, it was about a fourth of that amount. And so there's a lot of different things. So if you've had an experience with this, it doesn't mean it's going to be the same across the board, right? Jeff, you, this is a portfolio product to you guys that is a little bit different than what I was going through earlier. Yeah, and, and that's a huge difference. So, you know, if if you don't talk to me, you talk to someone else about a bank statement loan. The first question you want to ask is, who is actually doing this loan? Are you brokering it out or is it a true portfolio loan? Because those are two different ball games as far as experience, um, the timeliness of the process. So if you've got someone that's brokering out that loan, uh, they are absolutely sending all your stuff out to their underwriter uh, who's probably going to piecemeal the file. So in other words, they get to a stopping point. So let's say there's 50 things they have to go through. They get to number two and they get stuck there. They're going to send it back to your loan officer, ask for additional documentation, clarification, then send us back the file. And then they go to maybe number 10, send it back again. And each one of those delays is a week. And then you get to the end and you find out, oh, I didn't know the loan officer didn't know about that rule or that qualification or, you know, some aspect of their product. So that that's a big deal is to find out if uh, that is a true portfolio product. And if it is, that's a much better situation because uh, at North Point, for example, that's our product. We write the rules. Our underwriters review everything. Uh, so if we find that an exception needs to be made, we can request that. And if it makes sense, we've got the, uh, the, the people that can make those decisions here. So it's a much faster process. It's a much smoother process. And like we were talking about earlier, Sean, we're going to we're gonna pre-underwrite those uh, every single time. So we're going we're gonna to run that through an underwriter before we issue that pre-approval letter. So one thing that I would say about those loans, uh, and it's really every situation, but especially these, you don't want to find that great property and then uh, call your loan officer and say, hey, I want to make an offer and do a bank statement loan. How fast can you get me a pre-approval letter? That's when mistakes are made. That's when, um, you know, things aren't properly reviewed and you just don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. And that's, that's across the board, right? When you're, when we're talking yeah. about getting financing on a property, you don't look for your financing after you find a property. You do that. That's one of the very first steps in the process is getting pre-approved, deciding what, what loan program or what loan product you're going to use, depending on your situation, what type of property you're going after. All of those different things should be, those conversations should happen way before we start looking at properties even. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's going to set yourself up for success just in the, that, that, the, the order of 
the way that things go down is you're going to do your financing way before the property search. And so, yeah, that's a, what is the tip? What is the typical timeframe? Do these, do these loans take longer than a traditional loan? Um, you know, what is, what would you say the, the, the escrow time, if I made an offer after we've already talked at, you know, assuming that we've already looked at everything from offer to close. It's 30 days. Yeah. Okay. The same as, you know, most, most deals that we do. So um, it, and again, that's, that's because we're going to pre-underwrite these files and you're going to be, you know, ready to go. The, one of the questions I get all the time is when should I get pre-approved? And the best answer for that is when you think that you're within a six month window of wanting to make a move and, and close on a property. So um, yeah, you, you definitely don't want to put yourself in a position where you're scrambling to get that done no, no one wants to operate in a way where they feel like they're flying by the seat of their pants in, yeah. in this space, because, you know, we're, we're not making light decisions. We're not buying a hamburger, you know, in the drive-through uh, at, at McDonald's, no. you, you really want to make sure that you're prepared. And just me personally, when I feel more prepared, I feel more educated. Uh, I, I feel more empowered to go out there and make a decision make quick decisions um, or be able to make quick decisions because I am prepared. I am educated. Um, so it puts you in a position where you can take action and you feel like you're taking wise action. Right. It gives you that confidence to just say, okay, that, that piece of the puzzle is checked off and, and it allows us to, and gives us the confidence to focus on the deal and putting together the best deal rather than worrying whether we're going to be able to get the financing. And so one of the, yeah, I mean, we know that one of the big hiccups right now in the world we're living in like today on the financing side is appraisals. They're coming, they're, they're taking a long time and that's on, that's across the board. Right. And so, you know, we, you really have to be prepared with everything else because some of those things are, they're taking extra time right now. And we don't, sometimes we don't have that extra time. And if it, and if, if we only have a short window of extra time and it's already allocated to the appraisal, for example, everything else better be in line before we get going. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And I'll forewarn uh, all of your, your viewers and listeners that uh, you may uh, get a shocking number when your loan officer tells you, you need to be prepared to pay $1,500 for an appraisal, $3,000 for an appraisal, because yeah. what we're finding in these markets, um, the Smokies, Blue Ridge, um, I don't want to single them out, but they're money talks right now. Uh, those, those appraisers have more than what they know to do with. And if you want to get, get your deal done, you better throw a big number out because that's what's going to catch the attention of, of these appraisers and they can pass on uh, orders. They don't have to pick them up. So, you know, yeah. they're, they're definitely cherry picking right now. And we we're having to throw big numbers out there to get their attention to get them to, to pick up orders. Yeah. And, and as frustrating as it is, it's still worth it usually because the deal that we want to go after that we want to pursue is going to more than make up for that. But it's still, a, it's still frustrating. You know, we don't want to pay more than we have to. We had a, one of our members was in uh, New Mexico buying a property and they were in the middle of a 1031 exchange. And that's exactly what they did. They weren't going to hit that timeline. They were down right down to the wire on the 1031 exchange. And, and it was the delay was the appraisal. And they went out and they threw a huge number out and said, We're, we'll put this number out there, but we need it back in two days. 
and they got it done because, and that's exactly what they did. And, and so unfortunately sometimes, but it's nice to know that you have the ability to do that. If you have to, some lenders wouldn't even, wouldn't, I wouldn't even suggest that I've talked to, to, uh, loan officers and lenders that wouldn't even know that that's an option. They just assume that you just have to wait it out. And to your point, they've got way more appraisals to do than there are appraisers to handle them. And so they cherry pick them. And one of the best ways to get that done is throw out a little bit bigger number than everybody else is willing to pay to get your property or your property appraised in, in, in on time. So, so let's go back to the, the front end of the bank statement loan. And how I would qualify for that. So if I'm a business owner, are they going to use my business bank statements? Are they going to use my personal bank statements? How are they going to do that? Well, sometimes it's a combination. So, you know, it just depends on um, what is going to be uh, the the most advantageous for you. So that's, that's why that pre-approval process is important. So we can review your position and what things look like, and then we'll determine, you know, the best uh, path going forward. So it can vary. Okay. And so, and uh, also sometimes I, I kind of um, assume because I've done some bank statement loans, I understand them a little bit and haven't gone through that process that I, I assume that the listeners maybe understand exactly what that is, but tell us exactly uh, like as far as like terms, what we're looking for when we would use them, down payments, um, pricing, all of that kind of stuff. What would a typical bank statement type of a loan look like um, if I if I was going to run down that road as far as what it would cost me to do it? Yeah, so this, this is our, our prime preferred product. So, you know, you still have to have excellent credit, 760 or above. Uh, we can get some exceptions on 740 and above. Uh, so you still have to show that, you know, you're responsible with credit, uh, you've got good scores, but yeah, the, the beauty of it is, is we can still do the 10% down up to 3 million. Uh, and that's, that's, that's for more than just people that are doing bank statement loans. That may be, you know, the, the fully qualifying W2, everything looks good on a tax return, uh, where, you know, instead of putting 20% down on a, on a, you know, $4 million deal, uh, 10% may be a, a, a much better situation. So yeah. interest rates, I can't quote exact rates, yeah. but they're typically going to run one to one and a half percent above what you would find on uh, a second home occupancy loan. So not too terribly bad. You can still get fixed rate options. Um, Does a fixed and, rate option cost you more? Is it using more than that one and one and a half percent? Um, jump or is it no no yeah no, yeah it, there there's there's not a lot of value in in the adjustable rates uh going with that that uh going down that road so yeah really good fixed rate terms 30-year amortization um so very solid there with the the, the uh, loan structuring and the terms how about prepayments do they have prepayment penalties on these types of loans not not on the preferred prime yeah, okay. we, we can talk a little bit more about the DSCR loans where there is a yeah. prepayment penalty that, there. But. That's why I asked on this one, because I know on the DSCR loans, which we'll talk about here in a minute, there typically are prepayment penalties that's that step down. And so this might be a really good option if you're, you know, if you don't, if you want to avoid that prepayment option, you've got great credit, you've got, you know, significant um, dollars coming into a business or to your bank account. Um, I know a lot of business owners will typically have the majority of the money run through the business and they don't typically 
put a lot through their personal accounts. And so that's why I asked about being able to use business banking um, and for this type of a loan and what you guys offer. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. And again, yeah, we're we're going to advise people on on what's going to work best for them and and put them in the best position with the best solution. When you talk about a preferred prime, what does that mean? When you refer to a preferred prime loan, um, it, it's just our terminology for the product. So you know, the preferred prime is because people have excellent credit. So uh, we do have options for you know one day out of bankruptcy, some of those um, uh, catastrophic events credit-wise, we still have products for those. So the preferred prime just refers to uh, the aspect of the, the the credit profile being strong. Awesome. Awesome. Good. I, I, I figured that was the case. So that's just something that you guys, it's a product that basically tells you you've got to have really good, strong credit to be able to get some something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Awesome. And so, and does that, is that, would that loan still be a personal loan that goes on my personal debt to income and everything else? I can't do anything as far as putting that product in an LLC. That's going to be a, that's going to be in my name. Yeah. All the, all the opportunities that we have, the, the loan is in your personal name, hold title on your personal name. And then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, after a year, you can transfer to an LLC, but yeah, everything's going to be on your personal credit. Um, we can do five of those portfolio loans um, at North Point. So, okay, awesome, awesome. So let's uh, now let's go to that kind of the third product that we were going to mention and talk about, which is a DSCR loan. Some people have heard me talk about them as asset-based loans, and these are loans that are that basically the property itself qualifies. We don't qualify with our own income. And, you know, they're going to look at the property and how the property is expected to perform or is performing and, and be able to underwrite the loan in that way. Right. And and the DSCR stands for debt service coverage ratio type loans, if um, anybody's looking that up. And so that's another product that we could use if we don't, if, you know, we don't want to use our own income to qualify, correct? Yeah, that that's exactly right. And so, um, one of the questions that I get um, on a regular basis is how many can I do? So with North Point, we go by the Fannie standards. You can do up to, you can have up to 10 mortgages in your name. Uh, we can do up to five of those types of loans, but uh, yeah, we're not going to look at income. We're not going to consider income. It's not even going on the application. It's really uh, credit score. So you have to have a 740 or higher. You have to show a good, uh, a good history of using credit responsibly. And then if you have that piece, then it's all about the property's ability to outperform the PITI payment. And North Point uh, loves these properties because you know they've been doing these for a while on uh, investment properties and using that data. And uh, what they're seeing is, is that these properties perform really, really well and kind of kind of blow the long-term rental model out of the water from a, a qualifying standpoint. Awesome. And so, so when it comes to the, and, and this is the kind of the same point that we made with the, the bank statement loan is this is a port, another portfolio loan, right? And so where we talk about a DSCR loan, there's other lenders who offer DSCR loans. They will all have their own unique rules and terms, everything else. Sometimes they're similar, but 
the bank itself, North Point, is writing the rules for this type of a loan to keep within their portfolio. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And again, that's a big deal because, you know, sometimes if, if you've got someone that's brokering out that loan, uh, whoever that lender is that's, you know, underwriting the loan, it's, it's their deal. Uh, we've seen or I've seen in the past where their appetite changes and the rules change because, you know, they're going to tighten things up because in that, that moment, they don't want to do as many of these loans. So overnight, their credit score requirements could go up, you know, different aspects of qualifying could change because of, of their appetite. So again, it, it's a big deal to have control of that product and it be uh, a bank portfolio product. Yeah. And, and in fact, the biggest problems I've seen with DSCR loans um, are when, when one of our members or people that I've talked to that have had a, a nightmare experience with this type of a product, it's because they went through a broker. And we've talked about this and you always want to find out if somebody is actually, you know, how far removed from the decision makers are they? Are they? And if you're a broker, your job is to, you've got a lot of lenders that you can go out to and there's nothing wrong with brokers. I know there's a lot of brokers that do an amazing job and, and uh, the brokers who have had issues with these have done a good job. But what happens is they're, they're pretty far removed from the decision and they don't have a lot of say when it comes to if there's an issue with the underwriting or anything else and if the rules changed in the middle of it. And so you want to really ask that question in the very beginning, if you're looking at some of these types of loans is, is this a portfolio product for you? Are you funding it? Are you keeping this product in your portfolio? Because if that's, if the answer is yes, then your loan officer is not that far removed from the decision makers. It's, it's within their company of, you know, the underwritings on their team, the, the decision makers are there. If it's the answer is no, it tells you they're a broker and they're going to be a little bit further removed from the decision makers. And that that's just riskier. The level of risk goes up for you as a borrower to be dealing with, um, when you're, you're not dealing directly with the, the decision makers. My experience with the, the bank statement loans, um, both bank statement loans I have done in the past, they were a marathon. Um, they were, we, we ended up getting them both done, but it changed significantly from where we started to where we ended up. And both scenarios, I was working with a broker and a broker I trusted and worked with a lot and still trust her. She does an amazing job, does a lot of our loans that are is, but now she only does loans. And in fact, she always, she told me before we got into the process, she said, Hey, Sean, I'm brokering this out. I really don't want to do this for you. I don't do this for anybody. Um, if you want to run down this road, I will. So I, I kind of went into it with my eyes wide open, but she said the same thing. She said, I don't like brokering stuff out so the, the same as you talk about that, Jeff. It's not, it, you really want to be careful if you're not dealing with the actual direct lender. Well, none, none of us like playing a game where we don't know the rules up front. We don't like shooting at a, a moving target. And uh, that, that's kind of the best way to illustrate uh, what that looks like. And, you know, not, not to come down on our broker friends, but it's just a different beast. It's a different animal where that can happen. The rules can change. You don't have control of the process. And you, you said earlier, you know, for the most part, Fanny is Fanny. Uh, they, they really don't change uh, hardly ever. So that, that, that's a little bit more consistent and, you know, being able to deal with other entities because, you know, yeah. you know, the rules up front, it, right. it's not a moving target. It's sitting there for you to hit the bullseye. 
Yeah, but some of these unique products, it's a lot more. And I appreciate you making that clarification because there are a lot of brokers who they strictly deal with traditional Fannie products, right? And and that's nowhere near as big of a deal because the the rules are pretty much the same across the board. Everybody's following the same rules. They don't change very often. They're they're pretty much set in stone for you know lack of a better term. They're there and, and everybody's dealing on the same playing field. When it comes to some of these additional products like bank statement loans, asset-based loans, DSCR loans, those things, it is they are they are different across the board. And in fact, I always suggest people when they're looking at a DSCR loan to look at a couple different direct lenders. There's not a lot of them out there, um, and so you can look at a couple different ones and see what the you know what the terms would be. What you know what are their different qualifying requirements and how are they underwriting the loan? Um, and, and those things can be different across the board. We don't, I don't want people to assume that because they look at a product that you might have, Jeff, that, you know, lender B is going to be exactly the same because they're not on these portfolio products. It, you have to ask the questions because they might be similar, but they're not going to be the same. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I, I would, uh, advise people with is, um, you know, tell me about your control over the, the product and the process. Uh, what are the upfront fees? Uh, what is the rate? What are the terms? So can I get a 30 year fixed rate or is it a, is it a 20 year with a, you know, balloon payment in seven years or do I have to go with an arm? So just get an understanding of what available terms are upfront instead of when your disclosures show up. Uh, and then, also, is there any type of prepayment penalty? So yeah. th those are the big ones that, and then, you know, will you pre-underwrite my file as much as possible? Or if I find a property, can you, uh, you know, advise me on the feasibility that it's going to, you know, qualify? So just, and with that, it's communication. You know, do, do you have easy paths to communicate with or, you know, or five, three days, five days, seven days going to go by and I don't hear from you, we lose deals when that happens. So communication is, you know, finding out how people communicate up front is, is important as well. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Absolutely. Usually one of the most important things in, in any sort of relationship, but uh, definitely with your borrower lender relationship is that communication piece. So with the DSCR loan, let's talk a little bit about the general terms and what, uh, what are some of the Kind of the key criteria uh, for getting into one of those loans as far as down payment i know we can't quote exact rates but you know roughly what that rate um jump would be from you know typical prime rates um and then you know if they have prepayments or not uh, we've already kind of alluded that they do so what are some of those terms on the dscr loans yeah so i can i, I can um i can speak a little bit to other companies definitely to, to north point so uh, you, you can still get a 30 year fixed rate, uh, minimum down payment is 20%. Uh, there are no upfront origination fees. Um, some other companies that I've seen will charge a point, two points up front. Um, I think I've even heard of, uh, companies that charge three, mm -hmm. uh, the prepayment penalty that, that North point has is pretty, uh, uh, minimal. It's based on the loan amount. It's it's pretty complicated, comp, complicated uh, calculation, but it, it's pretty uh, minor fee compared to some of the other ones that I've seen out there where uh, they can charge you as much as five points 
if you pay the loan off within the first year and then it kind of stair steps over five years down to one point for that that last year. Um, so yeah, definitely a question that you want to ask up front is what is that prepayment penalty? So uh, we have fixed rate options. Uh, the rate is typically going to be one and a quarter to one and a half percent above what you would find with the second home occupancy loan. So again, not not crazy, you know, not not uh, anything that's a double digit or anything like that. They're very very reasonable rates for you know the opportunity that it presents. Yeah, and are you able to buy down those rates on those types of loans? You can. Yep. Yeah. There is that opportunity. If you know you're going to be holding it for five years, you can run the calculations and probably see whether it makes yep. sense to buy those down. But rates are so low right now that one and a quarter to one and a half jump in a rate is not uh, usually like I that's usually a pretty decent rate still. Um, the rates are because rates are so low right now that makes a lot of sense um, to still look at these types of products, especially if you don't qualify for these loans with your personal, you know, with your debt to income, or, you know, you're already maxed out on your debt to income and you can use the property. This uses the property income to qualify for the loan and explain to people what a debt service coverage ratio is. We call that's what these loans are called. Can you explain to people what that actually means and what it is and what you're looking for in these types of loans? Sure. So they, they probably can get a better explanation through Google. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to look at the, the rent records in the area of properties that are similar, uh, and we'll also use different data sources. So when the appraiser goes out, he's going to use a, an appraisal report uh, that he would use if he was doing a long-term investment property. So he's looking at comps uh, that uh, operate as, as long-term rentals, but in these areas, we can't necessarily depend on those uh, because there, there may not be a lot of those. So there's a couple of other data sources that we use uh, that also include short-term rental income. Uh, and, and really bottom line is we wanna see that, that those properties or that property has the potential to outperform the, the PITI payment. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking for a certain ratio between the income it generates and what those expenses, the PITI expense would be on the property and wanna make sure that it covers that. And so, and that's the, that's the basic, the gen, I mean, not basic, that's how they underwrite these loans outside of the credit score of the borrower. Now, these loans, though, don't have to hit your credit, your personal credit and, and on your loan, right? Or do they with North Point? I know with some, I know with some lenders, they don't, and you can, you can lend right directly to an LLC. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's another question to, to ask. I, I would definitely put that in you know, those, those series of important questions that you want to ask up front. Uh, and that's, you know, depending on who you go with, may, that may be the determining factor because North Point, like I said, everything that we do is in your personal name. Uh, and there are other companies out there that will do it, do the loan in the, the name of the LLC. So uh, those terms are typically going to be different. So again, that's where you want to find out okay, great, I can do it in the LLC, but I'm gonna have to pay three points up front and then I'm gonna have this huge prepayment penalty. So, or that may not be the case. You know, they may be very friendly and they may have this huge appetite for doing those loans in the name of an LLC and not have those fees. But 
you've got to know what questions to ask up front yeah. uh, to, to make sure that you're going with the, the company that's going to be a good fit for you. Absolutely. And, and sometimes you don't know all those questions. So it's really important to have a, a loan officer that can walk you through a lot of that, you know, and navigate a lot of those questions. You know, it's, it's very common in not just this business, but many that you have, we have all these offerings. I can, you know, we can lend to an LLC. We can, you do 20% down. We can do, you know, amortize over 30 years and all these different things. And even though they can do them all, sometimes we don't realize that, okay, lending to an LLC actually costs me more. Yeah, I can do it, but you know, it's going to be more than that one and a half point jump on the interest rate, or I'm going to have to have these big, big, big fees up front or my prepayment penalty changes. And so just because they can do it doesn't mean you're always going to get the best pricing with all of those different options as well. Yeah, that, that that's exactly right. And that's why uh, I love being at North Point and having the different products uh, that we do, uh, you know, not only with just Fannie Mae and our portfolio, but it's nice to be in a situation where uh, you do have different boxes that, that you can look in uh, that, that, um, you know, you, you have options for people. Options are, are just good to, to, uh, to have in, in these scenarios because sometimes plan A uh, for some people isn't the same plan A for other people. So yeah. it's, it's nice to be able to advise people and say, okay, I have this. We can look at it. Um, so I haven't had that in the past. I'm excited to have it now. Yeah. And, and one of the main reasons why I was excited to have, you know, part two of our initial conversation, because you've done an amazing job. You guys have really, you know, become the industry leader when it comes to 10% down financing for vacation, second home loans. And now you have the ability when you consult with somebody to really decide, okay, we've got these different product offerings and not every, like you said, you know, 30% of the people don't fit into that first box, which is, is the most favorable box to fit in as far as terms, down payment, all, all of those different things. But that doesn't mean it fits for everybody. And before you used to not have much of an option unless you wanted to broker it out, which you, you didn't do. And you said, you know, you, you don't, you didn't run down that road. And so you had that, you had the one option and now you have different options and it's more of a consultation when somebody comes to you to say, okay, let's figure out what is your, what fits your scenario, the best, what your property goals are, what your personal finance goals are and all those different things. And having those options, I think is, is critical. And I I'm really excited for you to have that. Um, you know, we have a lot of trust in you. A lot of our, our entire community has a, a lot of trust with you and your team. And so it's nice to now have that ability to say, okay, yeah, we think this product's the best fit for you or, you know, product C might be a better fit. And so it's really exciting to see you have that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like to help people. Um, and I also have the mindset that we can always be better, do better and, and offer higher levels of service. And so, through transitions, that can be challenging, um, but ultimately, uh, with our transition to North Point, uh, it, it's just exciting that uh, I will be able to say yes more uh, to uh, people's needs and, and uh, when they don't fit inside the Fanny box. So uh, we're excited that we're in all 50 states. So that pre-approval letter travels uh, to anywhere anyone wants to go if they're undecided up front uh, where they want to invest. So uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to be here. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, so as a summary, we'll, uh, so we talked about three different loan products. One, we talked about the traditional vacation home, second home loan. And it is that we talked about, you know, the misconception that you're not allowed to use that in short-term rent, you know, your properties when you have that type of a loan. And, and hopefully we've, hopefully we've, uh, cross that bridge and, and check that box for a lot of the people who had questions about that, because you absolutely are. You definitely have to have that personal use aspect to the property, which you, you know, and not lose control of the property. So if you have any questions about that, Jeff can talk about that. Him, him and his team can talk about that um, when they're talking to you. The second product was that bank statement product, which I'm really excited to hear about because that gives a really great option, a 10% down option up to 3 million. That's, I mean, that's a, that's phenomenal. And being able to use bank statements, especially for all those business owners out there, this is a good product for a lot of business owners that, you know, typically have a lot of write-offs. And by the time their tax returns are done, that income is whittled down to show not quite representative of actually what they do make and the cash flow that they have. And so that's a great product to be able to talk about. And then that third product, which is an asset-based loan, which is a product where the property itself qualifies for the income rather than you personally. And so those are all three very unique products. You guys, they're the bank statement and the DSCR asset-based loan, their portfolio products to North Point. And so um, I'm really excited that to be able to have those options, point people in your direction. And so as, as we talk about that, Jeff, you had some contact information we shared on the last podcast, and then you've made this transition from Gateway to North Point at this point. Um, how can people get a hold of you that want to talk to you and maybe set up a consultation to talk about what their best option is as they run down this road? Yeah, so we still have 10percentdown.com spelled right. out, and uh, that'll get you to my calendar where uh, you can go in and open up a day, find a time that works for you, and uh, we'll schedule it a call to, to talk about what your hopes, dreams, and desires are. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of information out there. People can go and consume, uh, you know, pretty much anything that they want to these days. And, and what I find is, is these phone calls are invaluable because we can get really specific. We can uh, talk about strategies. Uh, another thing that I'm excited about is our opportunity to offer HELOCs. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Um, talk a you, little bit you, about that before we, before we wrap up. Uh, I think yeah, that's you, important. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a, I love the strategy of using a HELOC for down payment, closing costs and, and setting up the property to have it rent ready. So um, I just like the idea that you know, we're going out. Yeah, these properties are fun. We're going to use them. But ultimately, we're buying businesses. And, and that's where we get into people calling them investment properties. But um, we're, we're going out there. We're acquiring these businesses. So we need to separate that business debt as much as we, we can. And the HELOC is a great way to do that versus doing like a cash out refinance where uh, you know, you're, you're tied to that additional debt for maybe even 30 years. Uh, and there's other things that affect that or uh, can come out of that. Your, your uh, debt to income ratio is forever tied to that higher PITI payment if you do that first mortgage cash out refinance. So let's separate that debt that we're using to acquire the business and then make the business pay the debt back. Um, so we can, pe we can help people with HELOCs on their primary residences, their second homes. Uh, and I think it's a great uh, opportunity to uh, 
uh, use that static equity that's just sitting there, but doing it in a way that, you know, we can isolate it and we can concentrate on paying it off with the, the property's uh, income that we're buying. So, Sean, you may have a different number, but a number I like to throw out is, is 18 to 20%. So, you know, how much, how much do I need? I, I say 10% down payment, uh, 3% for uh, closing costs. So bank fees, title fees, prepays, first year homeowner's insurance, and then about 5% uh, to get the, the property rent ready. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually have upped that a little bit as well. I, I usually tell people it's about eight to 10% of the, to get the property rent ready. If it's a, if you're starting from scratch, a lot of these properties are sold um, semi set up turnkey. Um, a lot of them are called turnkey, but usually we don't see them fully turnkey. We need to go add to it. So if that's the case, you, you maybe three to 5%, but yeah, even if you're on a 10% down loan, you should be budgeting around that 20% mark to get this property purchased and ready to go. And so, and that that has to do with some of those closing costs. And then also the bulk of that extra is going to go into furnishing and setting up that property. And so, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that HELOC. We were uh, we were talking about that earlier. And, uh, and because we see so many people leveraging their properties to be able to accelerate and build their portfolio right now. Most of us that own properties have equity in them right now. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is most markets have been going up very significantly. And so rather than selling our property or doing a cash out refinance where you have to take a bulk sum and it's, you know, it's amortized over your 30 years and you just have that payment stuck on there, a HELOC's great because you can tap into exactly what you need. You can pay it off. You can actually use it again. You know, you can kind of keep going back and forth with that HELOC and use it as almost a banking system for you in, in, in building this and really accelerating your portfolio. How hard is it to qualify for HELOCs, Jeff? Is it, uh, there, are they, are they typical to a regular loan? Are they different? Are they, what does that look like? Yeah, because there are some, you know, there's risk in being in the second lien position uh, where something catastrophic happened, you know, the, the second lien position gets kind of the leftover. So, yeah. um, you know, you, it is your fully qualifying loan based on your debt to income ratio with your documentable uh, personal income. So similar to the Fannie loan, uh, but, but, um, not anything crazy from, you know, um, you know, low, low debt to income ratio or anything like that. So, uh, pretty easy. Most of the, the appraisals that we do, if not hundred percent of them are electronic, uh, evaluations. So, uh, the term times are, are fairly quick. Now, what I would say to that too, is, you know, don't wait till the last minute, if that's your strategy, which again, I think it's a great one. I talked to so many people that, you know, we go through the conversation, they're excited, they're excited about the opportunity for 10% and they're, you know, their, their kind of last comments are is, you know, if, if we could just skip enough meals and save enough, you know, we'll be able to get to that point where we can do this. And, you know, I, I love that HELOC to, to leverage that, that equity and, and leave your personal bank accounts alone because you're, you know, most people starting a business wouldn't go and dip into their personal savings and checking account. Yeah. They're going to go get a business loan. So you got to think in those terms and that way. And there's a lot of people that, you know, could be doing this, but, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck in that rut of, oh, we just can't save enough. And yeah. 
you don't want to be 80 years old still having that, you know, that thought of, gosh, if we could have just saved enough, we could have done, you know, all these things. Yeah. But one of our, one of our most successful members, um, when we, um, actually leveraged, didn't have the cash to, to do it and had leveraged a HELOC um, on his property for $150,000, got into a property and he's been into the game for a year and a half, has passive income over $200,000 a year and has over, over a million dollars of equity with the two properties he's purchased. And so it's pretty, I mean, and he wouldn't have, he didn't have, he, he was never kind of to that point of being able to save enough cash to do it, but he had this HELOC that he was able to tap into and his life has completely changed. And so you want to, uh, you know, and, and we're not talking about over leveraging properties here, right? You're not taking 120% out of your property or anything like that, right? There, There's limits to what you can do here, but most people have equity in their property, but you're not able to, you're not able to tap into all of it, right, Jeff? Well, yeah, and that's a great point because, yeah, you can only go up to 80% loan to value. And so, you know, there's some protection in there that you're not, yeah, you're, you're not over leveraging. Uh, you're not going to get yourself in an underwater position. Um, are, are we guaranteed what's going to happen in the markets? No, but that, that's a pretty safe place that you're going to leave 20% of the equity in the property. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, but when you have it and a lot of people do, what a great resource, um, to be able to put into play, right. Put it into something else that continues to build for you and, uh, you know, build that long-term wealth and that lifestyle freedom that we're, we're, we're all after. And so Jeff, this has been awesome, man. I kept you longer than I said I was going to keep you. So I appreciate you spending a little extra time with us today. This is a, is a great conversation. I know it's one of our hottest topics. And uh, this is, I'm sure, going to be rivaling our first episode, which is one of, our, one of our top viewed and listened to episodes. So again, thank you so much. So people can go get a hold of you. The best spot you said is at 10% down, all spelled out. And so same as the same um, website that we had on the first one. So we're not uh, confusing people, but that's great. So go, go to 10% down.com, go visit, um, set a time up to visit with Jeff and his team to be able to say which option is the best option for you, right? Do like Jeff said, there's plenty of information online, go do your due diligence, everything else, but there's nothing beats a conversation because everybody's situation is so unique. And so, you know, we're, we're Jeff and his team are so willing to get on the phone and run and have these consultations with you. And, and I can truly say this is a consultation and, and they're going to point you in the right direction and tell you, that it's not the right fit if it's not the right fit. And that's one thing I very much appreciate you guys um, doing is, is really taking that, that service mentality on these consultations. I've had more than one, many, many people tell us how that conversation has gone and how valuable it was to them. And now you have a lot more resources, which is really exciting. And so um, again, we'll go, thank you so much, Jeff, for being here. We'll go to 10percentdown.com, find you guys set up a time to talk. And uh, as always, guys, I appreciate you listening, joining us on the podcast, on YouTube. If you get any value out of these episodes and uh, leave us a review, share it with somebody that you know, give us a thumbs up. Those things do matter to us. And as always, we'll be back to you with you next week, same time, same place. And in the meantime, do something today, just one thing today that you can go start building that life that you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicey.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.